Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning eventually, okay? Let me, <laughs> yeah, let me give you a clear just snapshot of where we're going to go this morning. I want to accomplish three things. Uh, first, I want us to get a big picture, a 30,000-foot view of a huge theme that we see all throughout the Bible. So we're going to take a 30,000-foot view of, of a massive theme. Second thing I want us to do is, is quote-unquote, land the plane, okay? And we're going to get a, a kind of on-the-ground picture of what that theme looks like. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to dive into our text in Philippians. Then finally, the third thing, what I want us to do is talk about now that we've seen that in God's Word. What does that mean now? What do we do with that? What does Jesus have for us to take away and to put in practice. Are you ready? All right, let's do this first. Let's get started with our 30,000-foot view. There are some themes uh, that we find in Scripture, some theological themes that are massive. Uh, it doesn't matter where you open up your Bible. You see some of these themes that are just present uh, throughout the whole text. Uh, they're cross Books, they're in multiple authors, they're in both of the New and the Old Testaments. Um, and the reality is, is that themes like grace is an example. Themes like redemption. It seems like wherever you open up your Bible, you see it right there. You see it playing out in front of you. Well, we're going to look at one of those themes uh, this morning. And my guess is that it's not going to be one that you typically think of right away when you think of a prominent uh, theme that we find in the Bible. So here's the warning. Buckle up. This first part is going to be a little fast, okay? Uh, here in a moment, I want us to go through several texts together. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in any of them, and so I want to free you up. Those who are competitive in this room right now, I'm going to have a lot of scriptures, and I don't mean for you to try to be flipping through finding them with me unless you're like a Bible drill specialist or something like that, but Put that aside for a moment. Here's what I want us to do. As we do this, as we walk through this, I want you to kind of step back and see the way this theme has played out in Scripture, all throughout the Scripture, okay? Let's get started. Our God is a sending God. Our God is a sending God. He sends His people. Uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God says, to Abraham, he calls him and says, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I'll show you. God calls him and then sends him out. We move a few chapters later, Genesis 45. Uh, God calls and sends Joseph. Joseph says many times in this passage, God sent me before you to preserve your life. So God called him, sent him into his circumstances to preserve God's people in a time of famine. Move a little bit further. Moses, Exodus 3.10. Um, God calls him. It says this, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of, e of Israel, out of Egypt. God called him, sent him to help free God's people from slavery. God sends his people. God also sends his prophets. We read in Judges 6.8, The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel to bring to them his word. We read one of the classic uh, places in Scripture is Isaiah 6-8, where God says, 
who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah steps up and he says, here I am, Lord, send me, send me. We read in Jeremiah 7.25 that I have, God is speaking here, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day by day. That this is an ongoing thing that God was doing, sending prophets. Let's fast forward now to the New Testament. What better way to see that our God is ascending God than to look at God himself, the Trinity. God sends his son. Amen? God sends his son. In John, the book of John alone, there are approximately 60 references to God. 44 of them refer to God as the one who sends or Jesus as the one who was sent. This is a prominent theme. Let's look at one at probably the most famous scripture in our Bible that people know, John 3:16 and 17 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Verse 17 for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Move a little bit further. John 4, 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Romans 8, 3, For God has done what the law could never do by sending his son. 1 John 4, 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we may live through him. Not that we have loved God, but God loved us and sent his son for us. God not only sends his son, but he sends his spirit. We see in John 14, 26, Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He's telling them, guys, don't worry. He's coming, and my Father will send him. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, Jesus is comforting his disciples here. It's better for me to go. The advantage is for me to go because when I go, I will send the helper to you. Galatians 4, 6. God has sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God sends his Son. God sends his Spirit. And lastly, God sends his church. Matthew 28 Uh, Jesus says, he's about to ascend. The work is done. He's about to ascend and he says, go therefore and make disciples. It's a commissioning. It's a sending. He sends us out. How about this? Ananias and Saul. Ananias was, was called by God to go to a man named Saul who happened to be murdering Christians. It's not a great call. And he listens, and he goes, and in, and in Acts 9, 17, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you. You may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that happened. And Saul then, God transformed him, and he became what, who we know as Paul. Speaking of Paul, Acts twenty two twenty one, Jesus says this, to Paul, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Praise God for that. Amen? We're in this room because Jesus did that, and Paul listened and went. Last one, Romans 10, 15. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Church, do you see it? 
This is a prominent theme that goes throughout the scripture that God sends in order to accomplish his mission. That he sends his son, he sends his spirit, he sends his people all to accomplish his purpose, his mission for his glory. Uh, This isn't an obscure reference, is really the base of what I want us to see this morning. That this is a massive theme, that God is ascending God. Now, we can unbuckle Take a breath, and let's get into our text this morning. Uh, To do that, I want us to look at Philippians 2, 19 through 30. And while you're getting there, let me give us a little bit of a backdrop of this this text in case we've we've forgotten. Um, Paul has not had it easy. He has not had it easy. Ministry has been difficult for him. He's faced massive amounts of opposition, of persecution, uh, ministry for him has not been easy. In fact, he's writing this in prison. So he, in the midst of that, he has a heart for this church in Philippi. He's thinking of them. And so what he does is he writes this letter to encourage them in Christ, to tell them what Christ has done, and then to encourage them, challenge them to live out what Christ has done in them. Now, the text we get to this morning is unlike any other in the book of Philippians. Uh, some call it the travel itinerary of the book of Philippians. It's like, like Paul was talking straight to him, pushes the pause button, tells him about his travel plans, and then jumps right back in. But I don't want us to miss what's happening here. And here's my point. There is a beautiful picture of Paul's perspective in this passage. So let's read it together, and then we'll walk through it. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, interests, sorry about that, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul in this text is sending two men. First, Timothy, and then Epaphroditus. Uh, The first one, Timothy, we read in verse 20 that he... Sending him would have been costly to Paul. Uh, We read that Paul saying, I have no one like him. In verse 22, it says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. Paul is sending his best. He's not sending one of the bums on his team that he was looking for any excuse to get rid of. He's sending his best. 
He's sending someone of proven worth, someone who was of a great cost to him. So Paul, who was, remember, we read the passage where Jesus sent him. Paul, who was sent, is now stepping back and engaging in sending. His his perspective was on the mission of God, and he knew that God's mission was accomplished by sending. The second man, Epaphroditus, we don't know as much about him other than what is in this text. Um, We do know in verse 25 that he is a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. This man was close to Paul, and he had labored beside Paul for some time. Um, First, he was sent by the church to Paul. He served Paul, and now Paul was saying, go back and serve this church. Again, this man was not a bum. He was not one of the guys that was just lagging on to Paul's ministry that he wanted to go somewhere else. This man was a great asset to Paul. Here's what I don't want us to miss. Both of these men would have been hugely important to Paul at this time. He's sitting in prison. His ministry was messy. He was facing all kinds of opposition. Would, if that were you, would you not want two men like this on your team? Would you not want Timothy, um, who we read in all the texts that Paul and Timothy were, were like that? Would you not want him on your team? But Paul steps back, and in the midst of his own circumstances, he is sending them. He is sending them because he knows that God sent his son, that God sends his spirit, and that God sends his people to accomplish his mission and his purpose, that God accomplishes his mission through sending. Um, Now, after all of that, do you believe that God is a sending God? Amen? Do you believe God is still a sending God? Amen then the question for us is, are we, are we willing to go? The question for us then is, are we willing to go? Now, let me offer two clarifications. This is not a message that is geared to get us all to leave this place, quit our jobs, and go onto the mission field somewhere in another country. Some of us have been through those. This is not that. This is not that. The reality is, I believe that most of us in this room, God has sent us right where we are. And that we don't need to cross an ocean to be on mission for him. That's not what this is. Uh, Secondly, this is not a message to inspire guilt. Guilt is a terrible basis to step out in mission for God. This is not about guilt. Here is what I want us to do. This is a call to get off the sidelines and to get into the game. Um, I'll put it like this. God will not call you to something that he hasn't equipped you for. And he doesn't equip you for nothing. This morning, the call is to listen to what he's calling you to do and then to step back and to use what he already gave you to do it. It's to get into the game. Now, when we go through and we're talking about sending and going, um, one of the most common questions is, is this whole sending thing for all Christians? I mean, are we all honestly supposed to be called to do this whole going and sending thing? It's an honest question. The answer, yes. Yes. We, we looked at it already in Matthew 28, but that wasn't for a group of specialists. That was all his followers saying, go therefore and make disciples. It was to be sent out. Listen, if we're following after God and we are searching after his heart, He is ascending God. And 
when we follow after him, we are a sent people. We are a sent people. I want to, it's like a soldier who's in the middle of war and he's with his, his, his brothers. They're in the trenches together and all of a sudden that soldier just stops and he goes, you know, is war really for me? I mean, are all soldiers called to be in this whole war thing? Yes. By the nature of what you're doing in there with your brothers and sisters in the trenches, you are called to engage in the war. It's part of your marching orders by your commander-in-chief. In the same way, we as Christians, by the very nature of who called us and what we're called to, we're called to be sent and we're called to go. We're called to engage in this. It's in our marching orders as Christians. By Jesus himself, he gave us these marching orders. So the question is not, are we called, or um, are we called to go, or are we called to sin? That's not the question. The question is, what are we called to do? That God is calling each of us to do something. What is that? How does God want us to engage in this? Is sending easy? The answer is no. Probably not. Um, the reality is that to be engaged in this sending thing, is, there's a good chance it's going to be costly. Um, I have two examples that I want to share from this church. Uh, first, life groups. How many are in life groups right now? Okay, I want you to imagine in your life group that it is going so well. You love these people. Like, it, it, it's literally the highlight of your week to come together with these people, that they're pouring into you, you're pouring into them. It's kind of effortless. No one stresses anymore. You're already a close-knit, tight community, and then something happens. You're asked to multiply. You're asked to take what God has done in your group and to take it and to multiply it in your community for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your neighbors who are disconnected, for the sake of your community that's disconnected, you're asked to multiply for the gospel. And so you do it. You step out, and that group splits up, and it multiplies. And the, it happens. Your neighbors are in your small group now. Things are going wonderfully. But as weeks go by, you start to notice something, that those People who you love, who poured into you, who you poured into them, who you know their kids, who you know their stories, they're not there anymore. They're not there anymore. And the, the new people that are coming, they're great, but you know, there's not that chemistry yet, and, and it's a little more effort to lead this group in this stage. It's not as life-giving. It's more of pouring out a little bit. What have you just experienced You've experienced the cost of sending. The cost of sending. I'll give you one more example. Church plant. The church plant. Um, over the next year, we're going to be planting, launching a new church. God has given us a heart for a group of people and a community. I'm going to be honest with you. I am so incredibly excited. I wish we were launching tomorrow. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do. I cannot wait to see how Jesus is going to transform our community, how gospel-centered communities are going to start to build. I cannot wait. But that mission, 
has a cost. That mission has a cost. Because here's the reality. I love this church. I absolutely love this church. And my, our team right now, the core group that's coming together, we're a group of people who love this church. We're not a disgruntled group of people that want to go start something new because this didn't get it right and we think we can do it better. No. We're a group of people who love this church. It's going to be costly for us. Worth it? Yes, because we feel God has called us to this and we're stepping out, but it's costly. And it's not only costly for us, it's costly for this church to send us. We're being sent with resources and people, and like our text, not the bums. Really good people are joining our team. Sending is costly. It reminds me of, of a, I guess it was two months ago, several months ago, uh, we had a, a family over for dinner, and we were in our living room talking about the church plant, and we were, I had, honestly, I had no idea if this family was going to come or not. Uh, we had our first informational meeting, and we put these cards on the tables, and here on the bottom it says, I choose to go, I choose to give, I choose to pray. This family put a question mark in the go, so I literally had no clue um, if they were going to come or not, and as we talked through tears, this family told us how much they love this place. How much they absolutely love this church. How much Drew has been a part of their healing. How they love him as their pastor. How this place has been a godsend in their life for them to restore, recover, that they love this church. And at that moment, I was like, well, they're not coming, and that's okay. Because I love to see that. I love to see that heart for your church. But then in that moment, still through tears, they said, but we are more confident than ever that we're called to go. And we are so excited for what God's going to do. We cannot wait to see what God's going to do. We feel called to go. I was overwhelmed in that moment because they get it. They get it. I want people like that to serve the side because they get it. They get that there will be a cost associated with the mission, going after what God has called them to do. There will be a cost. But they also understand that it is worth it. That it is worth the cost. Sending is costly, but it's worth it. Um, if you see the most valuable treasure in the world then laying aside anything else to get it is ultimately worth it, is it not? Sending is costly and it is worth it. Well, what if you're here and you've already gone? What if you're here and you've already been there, you've done that, you've, you've done it, you've gone, already been there, done that? Answer, keep going. Keep going. It's like a, it's like a war, a war is comprised of many battles. Don't stop after one. Even if it was a victory, even if it was a defeat, don't stop after one. There's still a war going on, and if you're here, and you're breathing, and you're on this planet, God has something for you to do. God has something for you to engage in. Get involved. Get involved. Keep going. So here's the question I want us to wrestle with this morning. How is God calling you to be a part of this? 
um, several weeks ago, we had a vision night here at, at Northeast, and lots of ice cream. It was awesome. For those of you who aren't here, you missed out. Uh, Drew and the elders laid out for us where we're going as a church. What's next? What is our win? What is our true north? Where are we headed? What are we looking to do? And I want us to kind of look at some of the stuff they laid out for us in light of what we've talked about this, this morning. Uh, this is something they handed out, and this is our mission statement here at Northeast. To bring Jesus to every home in the northeast corner of San Antonio. Church, that is a sending mission. That is calling us to engage, us to go. Let me share some of the dreams. I, I, I dream of a day when. Let me share some of these with you. Our vacations are mission trips. That's a sending dream. We plant a new church every 18 months. Amen. That's a sending dream. We plant churches globally for the gospel. Sending. Everyone at Northeast is discipling someone else. That's a sending. That is a sending dream. Church, we worship a sending God, and we are a sending church. We are ascending church, and I believe that there are some of us in this room right now who say, amen, I want to do this. I, I believe God's calling me, but I have no idea where to begin. I don't know what it looks like for me right now in my life to actually walk this out, and so I want to give us just a few practical ways for us here at Northeast to step into this. Uh, first, live missionally in your community. Like I said earlier, you don't need to cross a sea to be a missionary. You don't need to get on a plane and go to a foreign country to start on mission for Jesus. God has put you and placed you right where you are. The reality is that no one else can touch the community you can touch. But God has strategically placed you to do that, to live on mission. Maybe that looks like using your resources that God has given you missionally. Um, what has God given you? How about start there? What has God given you? And now how can you take what he's given you and put it to use to live missionally in your, in your community? Uh, number two, lead a life group that multiplies. We touched on this already, but this is what we do here at Northeast. This is where we're going, that we are going to be a church of life groups that are multiplying for the glory of God in our communities, seeing people come into gospel communities to meet Jesus. That's who we are. Get involved in it. Get involved in it. It is like low-hanging fruit to get involved into that. Number three, disciple someone who will then disciple others. Some of you are really good on one-on-one, -on -one, and you want to just get together and build someone up. Keep doing that, but do it with the purpose of sending them out to do the same. Disciple them to disciple someone else. It's multiplying your impact. Four, church planting. As I said, this is a massive part of who we are at Northeast. And right now, church, you are in an opportune time to help see a church launched 
for the glory of God in a different community. I don't want you to miss it. This is an opportunity for you. Um, We believe in church planning here. It's one of the pillars of this church, and it's actually what brought my family and I here is that heart for seeing churches planted for, for Jesus. Right now, our core team is getting together for the church plant at Stone Oak Bible. Uh, if you look at your bulletin, you'll see uh, roots there at the bottom. Uh, you can see some of the details about that. But what roots is, is the first time, the very first time that people who feel like God is calling them to step out and to be part of this mission, to see Jesus brought to this community, for the first time we're going to get together. And we're going to talk about what it's going to look like, where we're going, what God is doing, and what he could do. We're going to dream a little bit about what God is doing here and what he's going to do. Um, I don't want you to miss out on this. If you're here and you feel God is stirring in you to be a part of a church plant, the first step is roots. And so I want to make it available to you. When you walk out of here and you go into our lobby at starting point, we have a a booth set up, and what I want you to do is take a moment and come visit us. We will be able to sign you up right there um, for Roots, so you can be a part of what God is doing, church, on the ground level, to see God build something from the ground up. If God's calling you to that, don't wait. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Also, we want you to join the prayer team. So as you walk out again at starting point, stop by our our booth and sign up for our prayer team. We want every one of you to participate in this. Maybe God's not calling you to go. Please join our prayer team. Pray for us. We're engaged in a supernatural ministry, and we need your prayers. We need you to partner with us in that. And the reality is that God is a sending God. And he sins in order to accomplish his mission. And I want to I close with, with this today. Um, one of the most defining moments in our life, in Candace and I's life, is the adoption process that we just stepped out of, or finished, not stepped out of, but finished. And um, at the beginning of that process, there are a, such a mix of emotions We felt so called to do it, and we were so confident, but at the same time, we were terrified that we were at risk of blowing up our home, and then all of a sudden, all these what-ifs start to just come into your mind. What if my little boy, Micah, doesn't ever adjust? What if I'm just a terrible adoptive dad? What if this little boy we're bringing into our home is actually a wedge that's going to wedge my relationship with my wife? What if this breaks us completely financially? All of these what-ifs, and they're very real. These are very real what-ifs start to just creep in. And in the midst of that, right in the middle of that, God was so faithful. He sent us people. He sent us things that just kind of helped us walk through our own fears a little bit. One of the things that he sent us was actually a song. It was a song. And this song made such an impact on us that we... We wrote the lyrics of this song in our living room, so we'd see it all the time. Um, now it's in our garage. When we pull in and pull out, it's, it's right there, so we can see it. It made a profound impact, and some of the lyrics are this, I've counted up the cost, and you are worth it. 
I do not need safety as much as I need you. You're dangerous, but Lord, you're beautiful. I've counted up the cost, and you are worth everything. Here in a moment, I've asked the bands, both here uh, and in the Fellowship Center, to play this song, uh, to play this song for us. And as they do, what I want to challenge us to do in this moment is take a moment and reflect and pray. As this band, as our bands play, just take a moment to stop, to reflect, to pray, and begin to ask God, what do you have for me to do? How do you have me to engage in this? Where are you leading me? What fear in my life is the thing holding me back from doing what I know you've called me to do? What resources am I going, no, no, no? Is it safety that we're, no, I want, I want, no. What are we unwilling to risk? And what is God calling us to do? God, what do you have for me? These are the questions that I want us to pray. So here in a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and then when I'm done, the band is going to lead us through, and I just want you to take a moment. You'll have the time and reflect. Would you do that? Let me pray for us. God, we, um, in this moment, first and foremost, we confess our fear. We confess our fear that, God, we are, in fact, fearful when it comes to stepping out into the unknown for you. But God, you're a God who understands that. Moreover, you're a God who chooses to use us for your purposes. God, every person in this room, every person who claims to follow you as their Lord, I pray that you show them that you are speaking directly to them, that there is no exemption. And so in this moment, as we reflect on your word and as we reflect on you, we, we pray that you begin to bring clarity to us on what you've called us to do. God, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name.